Good news. My new book is finally here. It's called Handbook for the Heartbroken, A Woman's Path from Devastation to Rebirth, and you can order it now wherever books are sold. I wrote this book after the five-year span between 2016 and 2020 when I experienced serial heartbreaks that rocked literally every area of my life, my health, relationships, money, career, social status, and even my very sense of self. And along the way, I really got to experience firsthand how dysfunctional our culture's relationship is to loss. I saw how we live in a heartbreak illiterate world that's obsessed with success and shackled with isolation and ignorant of how valuable our suffering can be for our growth and our evolution not only as individuals, but also as a collective. So this book expands the conversation around loss beyond just breakups and bereavement, although we definitely cover those too, in order to include falls from grace of all kinds, personal, professional, and collective. So whether you're experiencing hardship now, or know you have past hurts that are holding you back in certain ways and still need healing, this book is here to support you. It's also a great book to gift to clients, family members, friends, just other women in your world who are going through a challenging time. It will show you that it's only through fully turning toward your heartbreak with support, courage, and compassion that you can heal. So within the loving pages of this book, you will have full permission to fall apart and slowly, organically find your way back to greater wholeness. I'm truly excited to share this with you. It was not a joy to live this journey, but it really was a joy to write it. And you can find it again, wherever books are sold and the audio version of the book is available as well. If you would like some gifts to accompany you on your heartbreak journey, you can get those at handbookfortheheartbroken.com. Those are free. Whenever you order books, you can just send in your invoice or your receipt and we'll send you those accompanying gifts. Enjoy. Hello, welcome to the Sarah Avon Stover podcast, a space to come home to your inner wisdom. I'm Sarah, best-selling author and teacher of women's yoga, meditation, and spirituality. And this podcast was born out of my own desire to hear Dharma talks, which are what the Buddhist tradition calls wisdom teachings, through the distinct lens and voice of the sacred feminine. Here, I'll share these very talks, along with rich conversations about all different facets of the feminine spiritual journey. But above all, I created this because I believe that when a woman gets still and quiet enough to hear her inner wisdom, she's able to live her true path in the world. I hope this podcast helps you do just this. I'm happy you're here. Let's dive in. Hello, friends. Here we are gathering for our final episode of 2021. I've really enjoyed traversing this year with you here after a couple of years of hiatus on the podcast. And I have to say I'm proud of myself for sticking to my intention for this year, or one of my intentions of this year, which was to publish two episodes a month, one interview and one Dharma talk 
or at times uh, a meditation. And I hold the same intention for 2022. There are a lot of wonderful guests and topics lined up for me to share with you. I'm looking forward to that. And in the spirit of reinvigorating this podcast after my break prior to 2021, I have a request for you. And that is, would you be willing to leave me both a rating and a review on iTunes? Because there are a bunch of ratings and reviews, thank you, thank you, from years ago, from 2015 to 2018, and hardly any after that. So the main way that others can learn about this podcast is for it to have more recent five-star ratings and reviews. And when this happens, then my podcast shows up as a recommendation for women who are looking for similar podcasts. The whole process of leaving a review takes less than five minutes, literally, and it would be of great benefit to not only me, but also to the other women who may need or want to hear what we're talking about here. And it's also a benefit to this podcast and just helping it to continue onwards. So I thank you in advance for your support and generosity in just taking that time and leaving me in this podcast and other women who have not yet joined this community, a holiday gift of a rating and review on iTunes. And now on to today's interview. I had the great pleasure and honor of welcoming my own longtime mentor, Sarah Powers. And I first met Sarah a little bit over 20 years ago while I was assisting her yin and yang yoga teacher training at Kripalu. At that time, I was living in Thailand, but I came back to the U.S. for the summer and was spending an extended amount of time temporarily living at Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health in the Berkshire Mountains of Western Massachusetts. Beautiful center, beautiful time of year to be there for those of you who are familiar with the area. And I was assisting various world-renowned teachers with their programs, Sarah included. Now, as you can imagine, that was a summer of really, really deep learning. I learned a lot about Um, leading workshops, leading trainings. And I also learned a lot from Sarah uh, during my time assisting her training. I feel like my meeting her was a stroke of grace. Uh, At that time, while I was really steeped in more masculine and patriarchal yoga and meditation traditions, Sarah's own teachings stemmed from those as well. We had very similar backgrounds in terms of lineages with Uh, both yoga and Buddhist meditation in the Buddha Dharma. Uh, But Sarah adapted these into a softer, more accessible and feminine approach. And that was the first time that I even learned about yin yoga. And I just took to it immediately. It's been a part of my integral part of my practice ever since. And I wasn't just inspired by the content of what Sarah was teaching but also just by the quality of who she was and still who she is. And I was really struck by the way she integrated her deep practice, including ample time for retreats, into not only her thriving career, but also her marriage and family life. She was just a really great role model 
for what could be possible for me as a woman. So I've continued to study and mentor with Sarah since then, and so much of who I am now and what I teach stems from her influence on me. So I just give a deep, deep bow to to Sarah for all that she has shared with me. And it feels suiting to have her here now on the podcast, especially to speak about her new book, Lit From Within, which we speak about in depth today and which I strongly encourage you to go out and order right away. I encourage getting both, if you can, getting both the the physical copy and the audio copy. Um, Both are real gems. So for those of you who don't know her, Sarah Powers is the co-founder of the Insight Yoga Institute, as well as the author of Insight Yoga, which interweaves yoga, Buddhism, Taoism, and transpersonal psychology into an integrated practice to enliven the body, heart, and mind. Sarah began teaching yoga in the mid-80s, and today her yoga style blends both a yin sequence of long-held floor poses to enhance the meridian and organ systems, while often engaging in inquiry practice. With an alignment-based slow flow or yang movement practice, Sarah has completed all levels of the internal family systems therapy training and has been a student of spiritual psychology for over 35 years. She also draws from her in-depth training and long retreats in the Vipassana, Tantric, and Dzogchen practices of Buddhism. And now for my conversation with Sarah Powers. Welcome, Sarah. We always start our conversations here with a personal check-in. So I'd love for you to share with us where you're joining us from today, as well as how you're doing at the levels of body, heart, and mind. Oh, what a lovely way for you to begin with people. I am in London, and it's a cozy early evening, beautiful darkening sky and I've had a lovely day with time for connecting with people through emails and then time for just being practice time before I come on with you I had an hour so without filling it just enjoying looking outside and drinking tea and being quiet and alone which I love time for that So feeling really good emotionally, pretty current with my relationships and yeah, mentally open and curious for our time together. Yeah, thanks for thanks for sharing that. And something else I've been asking on this podcast since the start of the pandemic. Uh, it's just because I find it helpful and I know our listeners do too. You know, we're, we're about a year and three quarters into the pandemic and there's so many, there's been so many different stages of it. It seems like a new stage is possibly emerging with this new variant. And um, just with, with that and with all that's going on in the world, I'm curious if you could share with us just what things or activities or practices are 
helping you the most during this during this particular phase? Mm. Yeah, that's an important to touch on the reality of the subjective experience that we all find ourselves in, which we're in together, and yet each of us have our own ways of reconnecting, don't we? And it's nice to hear from other people how they do that to see if there's something we could add or something we could stop doing (laughs) that would be beneficial. And for me as this conversation is going to swell into, I'm sure is being a practitioner is the touchstone for dealing with uncertainty and the feelings of fear or um, resistance or a sense of helplessness if there's a psychological element to our practice life and therefore our our kind of inner holding environment, then I feel like I can ride the waves of the almost daily changes, as you say, especially with these variants now becoming so chronic and this new one having so many possible mutations in the world closing in on it so much faster than everything before it, which now we all know, as we start to open up, it is something that we have to continually ready ourselves for, which is that everything could change. And now within hours, like those people in the airport in South Africa. So as a practitioner, having a regular (laughs) sacred space, both physically when I can, when I'm home or wherever I find myself, I For me, it's morning time. It's before I greet the world. And then it's the combination of nourishment for my mental health with meditation, for my psychological well-being with inner dialoguing with different aspects of myself that might be feeling uh, unstable or unmet. And then physically with yoga, asana, and pranayama. So there's a sense that when there isn't that force field of formal practice that everywhere and everything comes into that space. And I live off practices that I've accumulated over the decades that I may not have practiced for a week, let's say, if I was in the midst of traveling and being with family. But yet there's a, there needs, I feel, to be a bedrock of understanding of, uh, a view of how the world is quite impermanent and in that way where we place our sense of refuge and our safety and so continually reorienting that and more than ever everybody's been able to see by being tested by kind of pandemic life where they feel you know very thin in their inner supports and hopefully with this last six months of things starting to open up again, people didn't just go back to old ways, but really realized they may need in-depth therapy now, and they may need to commit to more hours during the week of self-care time, and they may need time with friends and time in nature. So I think this holistic approach for me didn't then cause this 
overwhelm when the pandemic hit. It it now, like so many things, whether it's a close family member dying, which I'm in the midst of right now, it's more of, oh, now this. What's called for? How can I meet this? How can I be of support to myself and support to those involved? I want to take a short break from my conversation with Sarah to let you know about some things happening in early 2022 that I'm really excited about. Those of you who've been in this community for a while will remember that starting over 10 years ago, I led various 9 to 12 month online spiritual practice communities for women. They were called first the Red Tent, then the She School, then a year of She, and in 2020, Women's House of Wisdom. And the purpose of these communities was to support women around the world in integrating spiritual practice into their daily lives within the context of a supportive community, because this is the bedrock of health, sanity, fulfillment, and even creativity. So the good news is that I'm bringing this spiritual practice community back and I'm revamping it to include more than it ever has before. Women's House of Wisdom will be a nine-month online spiritual practice community that integrates women's yin and slow flow yoga, Buddhist meditation, and psychological maturity through the lens of Internal Family Systems, or IFS. It will include monthly half-day retreats, as well as monthly psycho-spiritual therapy groups, which is, which is rooted in IFS. Over the course of these nine months, you'll not only deepen your yoga and meditation practices, but you'll also learn key components of the IFS model and integrate them into your daily life for more psychological healing, maturity, and overall contentment. Plus, for women who want to integrate all of this into their professional lives, whether you're an entrepreneur or a business executive, I'm revamping my old mastermind, which was called the She Leadership Circle, into the brand new Wisdom Circle. And the Wisdom Circle will meet over nine months as well, and it will include everything in Women's House of Wisdom, because you'll get a membership, a complimentary membership in Women's House of Wisdom, plus a monthly private call with me, a monthly mastermind call with our intimate group, and more. All of these programs start in early March, and registration opens for both on February 1st. To get on the early notification list for both of these programs, head to sarahavonstover.com forward slash wisdom list. That's sarahavonstover.com forward slash wisdom list. And the link to that will be in the show notes as well. And now back to my conversation with Sarah. And it's just what you're sharing right now. It's, and I know, like you said, we're going to get more into it in this conversation, but it's really, that's really what your new book is filled with. And also your first book, but your, your new book um, takes it even, takes it even deeper and gives a lot of really rich examples of these various practices for the body, for the emotions, for the mind, even for relationships. Yeah, I, I'm glad that you found that to be so. That's definitely my 
one of my main hopes as as a, an offering in that kind of format of of a book that others who I may have no physical relationship to hopefully not not yet maybe in the future but that it's one of the many many resources that longtime practitioners have out there for any of us to really dive into and and take to heart that being a tourist to the practices only when we feel good or just to feel good won't really support us in the more dire times of need we're going to need to really excavate so much more than just the exercise limbs of yoga let's say or just the soothing aspects of mindfulness yes Yes. there's much more room for growth in all of us and so hopefully that's one of the benefits of the pandemic is wow i really need more support here and more dedication and where can i where can i touch into that so let's let's dive into talking more about your new book. It's called Lit From Within, Yoga Teachings and Practices to Illuminate Our Inner Lives. And by the time that this podcast comes out, it will have just come out last month. Mm-hmm. So first, congratulations. It's just, it's a gorgeous book physically. I love like the iridescent blue cover. Mm-hmm. And it's incredibly wise and helpful on so many levels. I just underlined and took took notes on so much. And just like your first book, Insight Yoga has been a practice Bible for me over the years. It's water-stained and dog-eared, and I still refer to it so often. Uh, I know this new book is going to play a similar role. And... Before we dive into the content of it, just as a fellow writer, I'd love to hear a bit about how the process of writing this book went for you. Like, was there a particular structure or schedule that you stuck to or just how how did that go? Well, thank you, Sarah, for your generous appreciation of it. You know, someone like you, you, I have in mind when I put together the years of practices that have been so beneficial for me and then the place where I've intersected with other in-depth, sincere people like yourself, I feel like hopefully the book speaks to them. So I love hearing that it has for you. And in terms of writing, I wrote Insight Yoga, as you know, a long time ago. It came out 10 years ago. And when I wrote that, I hoped that it would be a resource for people for many years to come, that it wasn't just something for a popular time frame. And I still look back at it sometimes myself, and I'm so glad that I wrote it then. It's almost like, oh, I need to refresh some of that content because it is about the the way that Chinese medicine can intersect and then expand our yoga practice so that it becomes more personally suited to our own needs and organ health and how it can relate to a physical, more flow-style practice to keep an overall balance. And so it's been used in a lot of trainings, and I've, I've been surprised and happy it's had such longevity. And actually, the 
publishers of Shambhala were writing me for the last few years to say, well, do you have a second book? Do you, what do you want to put out now? And I kept just, just writing them short emails of thank you for your interest and, you know, nothing right now to offer you. And so it, it wasn't something that I was necessarily drawn to have to put out there. I mean, the first book really felt that way because I'd been, been teaching for 25 years before I put it out. And then this one was more, well, okay, it's been 10 years. Yeah, there's been a lot of other developments for me as a student, for me as a teacher. So I had a lot of notes and I had training manuals. And I thought, well, one thing that seems common that I've been bringing up in the last five or 10 years is that in order to really feel like we're in the fullness of our life in a way that's more fully satisfying, we need a holistic approach. And so I would often use my hand and talk about the physical and the energetic and the emotional and the mental and the interpersonal realms, those five aspects. And so when I wrote to this particular publisher at Chambala, like this, this, maybe these five themes could shape uh, a text for people. She really encouraged me. And so I just started filling out those spaces and sent her a, a kind of outline. And then it was really March 2020 that I had set aside to flesh that out. And that was when the pandemic hit, which I didn't know when I scheduled that time off that we'd all be having time at home and that it would be tragic also for so many people. And so my heart was heavy and yet I also could feel the need more than ever for those who had the capacity to not be just in firefighter mode to take care of people or their own sickness, you know, what, what might be of benefit. So I, I felt that that home retreat for me in writing during that time was, was understated by a kind of urgency that globally the pandemic is part of the climate crisis. It's part of the, the uh, racial crisis. It's part of all the things that we can avoid looking at when life seems to be running along in the status quo, even though it's not necessarily healthy or nourishing. And all of that just got highlighted. So I really had the time because I was not traveling during those months as none of us were. And then the, um, the global input from all the emails people were sending and the blogs and the podcasts and, and the books that I was reading. And so I, I had such a fun time with writing. It wasn't as arduous as maybe it had been with my first book to really get all the facts down and all of the, the details so that it could be a, you know, a functional text. This was really like I, I, I just sat down and wrote. And so much was there and so much fun. And then during the, the second wave of the pandemic, I was editing it. So it's really, it, it was like a, a birth, you know, like the nine months of being in with it. And if I started it right now, it'd be a whole different thing since I am, I just got done traveling to Italy and teaching more online. I am busier again. So I would say there was a, a kind of a, a, a nesting and 
inward drawn face that allowed me to feel the the freedom to write in a way that I don't know could be repeated now. So I, I, that was very privileged and a blessing. Mm. Yeah, in many ways, that's just like the ideal time to write a book. And just mm-hmm. what, what grace that it, it lined up so perfectly. Mm-hmm. And it also that, that this book, it seems like this book kind of needed to come from that, that more still quiet space because that's so much of what this leads us into within ourselves. And, you know, in this book, you move through the different dimensions of being that you named, like body, emotions, mind, relationships, like from inner to outer. And you include just numerous, numerous creative and also accessible and deep practices within each section as well as resources in the back, even just recipes for your favorite morning smoothie and morning juice. And I'm so grateful to have met you in, I think it was my mid twenties and just to have had you as a, as a mentor and inspiration over the years and just really prioritizing my practice at the start of each day and personalizing my practice for where I am and what I need and I'd love for you to share with us, and I know this shifts this shifts each day um, according to what's happening, but just like a little snapshot of the first few hours of your day, the, what, what your mornings are like, just from waking up to practicing and just how you start your day before engaging with the outside world. Hmm. And let me just say that I feel very fortunate to have had this intimate relationship with you as well, Sarah, and to be part of your journey in, in the small way I have been and the trust that we've built and, and the, the beauty of seeing you blossom from a young woman to your womanhood and, and continuing. And so that's part of this, the beautiful, almost um, unexpected quality of, of moving from just being a teacher with lots of people in the room to some some personal relationships that even though we're we're in roles during those times of course of teacher ment or student mentor that I get the nourishment and the the growth and the seeing in that you bring as well so it it enriches my life having you in it so mm. that's one of the reasons when you asked me to do this it's like, of course, let's find a good time for it. And I love that you're offering this to the people in your life and the students. And you've written some beautiful books yourself. So, and I know you're a practitioner every day. And as you said that, it, or shall we say most days, that it changes. Um, the, the context for me doesn't change that much, which is coming out of the space of dreaming and of getting up in the morning and just going into the bathroom first. I like to empty my bowels first thing just to get real about the intestines. (laughs) Training my system to be able to do that after having an intestinal disease as a child and chronic constipation as an adult. I really studied a lot about how that could be possible for a body like mine until it was. And so that's something that 
right away makes it feel like, okay, it's going to be a good day. It's able to empty right. my bowels. <laughs> <laughs> so I take probiotics every day. And if I eat certain things the night before, and then I take an extra dose the night before I go to bed so that that would be the first thing in the morning. And so I'm a big proponent of knowing what, what's going to create inflammation in my system. And some days it's just fun to, of course, have pizza with friends. And yet I know I'll pay for it in this particular body. And so I know how to take care of that. And so from there, I go to, in, in the luxury of what I'm living in right now, I have a Dharma room. I have an extra space that's just for practice that I've designed in a way that nourishes me. It's where I'm sitting right now with candles lit and uh, Buddhas and Bodhisattvas and Taras and flowers. And so having a space. And before I had this particular flat in London, I would create a corner in any room where I could go to feel that way, to feel the freshness of what inspires me. And so I go there and on some days I make tea first. I'm definitely a green tea addict and like to get special blends and learn how to make it really just right. And I'm also very fond of matcha. And so I'll go and have some tea and I have particular texts that are inspiring me, some that I've used for over two decades and I read a little bit and others that are more current. And I'll read a poem of female practitioners to just uh, inspire the inner world that day. And then I'll practice one simple pose to just nourish my meridian system, some pranayama. So I'll open the window and practice anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes to just reorganize and calibrate the energy body and wake up the vital center in the abdomen, the hara, so that there's a, a sense of feeling grounded and then having more access to my ground of being. And then I go into meditation. And that's anywhere from on a busy day from 24 minutes to 45 and in coming out of meditation, then on most days, a tie is beside me, my partner of four decades, and we'll share how our meditation session was and talk about some salient themes that we might both want to discuss. And then I will go into a yoga practice quietly, and he'll often do the same on his mat. And so I really try not to schedule anything in my mornings before noon so that that never feels rushed. And that's like my, my regular way of living. It's a privilege. It's not how everybody can function. My one child I had is grown and you know, living on her own in New York. It was different when I was homeschooling and she was you know, ever present. But that's how I start my days. Mm. 98% of the time now. And it's oh, such a blessing. I, I, I think I'd be really uh, unwell physically and much more neurotic uh, emotionally and mentally if I hadn't designed this way in to myself and my everyday life. And then I meet the world. I go and I make often a smoothie or some fresh juice, and then I 
you go to whatever, whatever some of the themes of that day entail with the world and with other people. Mm. Yeah, it's a really, um, really nourishing way to start the day on so many levels. And just have a, a just a clarifying question for you about the text. You mentioned that the texts that you like to read, some are just ones that have, that you continually refer to, and some are more current. Are there any specific ones that you could share the the names of with us? Yes, one ancient text that we teach from in the last, I don't know, eight or nine years when we're on uh, teaching retreats is a Lojong, so mind training from the Mahayana Buddhist tradition and Norman Fisher or Pema Chodron both have great translations. The Lojong is really a, a compilation of teachings in 59 kind of pithy sentences that start with the kind of universal truths or what's called absolute reality and then goes to relative reality and how to how to train in compassion and they're so so crystal clear for the most part if you've studied some dharma in such a encapsulated simple way that they can just reorient reorient your mind space for what really matters by just reading one or two or three of them and then going into the meditation for that day. So that's one kind of overarching text that one could have at their altar and open up you know, every day for forever, for the rest of one's practice life. And then more modern, hmm, I, I maybe would suggest... Kathleen Singer wrote a, a triptych of three beautiful texts. One is called The Grace in Living. And then she also wrote The Grace in Aging. And she wrote The Grace in Dying. Mm. And she herself passed away. And she is such a beautiful writer. And she was a beautiful practitioner. I had a session with her and just really loved her so sad that she left so so young in a way and i would recommend those books as entries into your inner practice each day like read a paragraph or a page and then of course read chapters later in the day but don't get lost in i try not to get lost in the the mental uh love of the writer's expression too long, or then I'll just kind of miss a little bit of time for practice one may have carved out. So I'll, I'll just take samples because you can do that with her writing. She was such an in-depth practitioner of the, the whole field of awakening that um, I think that, that those texts would be really inspiring for most people as well, listening mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never heard of Kathleen Singa, but that sounds, those three texts sound intriguing, mm-hmm. um, particularly just at this stage of my life, the grace and aging. Mm-hmm. And that's actually, that's actually something I didn't put on my list of questions to ask you, but I realized that I wanted to, to ask you about that at some point um, about the aging process, how, how the aging process has been for you as a woman. And I know that obviously it's something that will continue Um but just now that I'm in my mid forties and just feeling the aging process more, 
and I'm really just spending time with, you know, how, how do I want to engage with this? And I'm curious if there's anything that, that you could share with us. And many of the listeners are 40 and older, um, just about just things that been, have been helpful for you in terms of just perspective around that in a culture that's does not support, especially women aging. Such an important topic, isn't it? And one that so many of us are in the midst of. And as you say, over maybe 45, one will continue to be in the midst of. It's different for everyone, but there's some universal themes, especially for women, because of our hormonal changes. And I went through menopause early. You could call it, I guess they call it uh, surgery-induced menopause when I had had half of my reproductive organs removed because of a cyst at 42. And although or uh, I had the surgery at 35 and then the uh, onset of menopause started at 42. My cycles continued after the surgery. And so because I still had uh, one ovary, I could have still gotten pregnant and all of that was pretty normal until the, my early forties. And then I started with really strong hot flashes at what, at what a time I felt was quite young, especially because my mother had a child at 47. And so I had always thought I might have another one later in my forties since I had had one at 30. And now I'm in my 60th year and hot flashes lasted over 10 years and, and different changes in terms of my digestion and my just energy, of course. And for some women, it's really emotional changes and a lot of sleep patterns change. I am really interested and committed to sleep being one of the main resources for my regenerative capacity. So I do everything I can to guard my sleep, even if I'm not deeply in uh, the deep states, I do what I call dark bathing. And so I, I'll just go into a space by myself in the dark and rest if that's all that happens. So I try to do that starting at 10 p.m. or with, if I'm with friends or out or, you know, I live in London and <laughs> spend a lot of time in New York. So sometimes it doesn't happen until midnight or later. But I will definitely then leave at least nine or 10 hours where that can happen. And my mindfulness practices can be a support when I'm not sleeping because I know there are levels of rejuvenation that happen if we can relax from worrying that we're not sleeping. And so working with uh, the idea of insomnia, of more just deep rest. And so daily practice will need to nourish those night regions, uh, I think, in our, our menopausal years. And I guess I know that we'll go in other directions, so I won't spend too long on this. Maybe it's a good thing for an, another time we can go further, is uh, this real sense of self-forgiveness, I think, is going to be important. So the, the development of self-compassion, the idea that we can feel less um, meaningful to other people if we don't look like um, we're kind of uh, young enough to to understand the changing nature of reality. 
but my my inner system is quite ageless because the energy body doesn't age. And so when I'm treated as an elder in a way that feels patronizing, to be able to allow other people to do that and almost kind of forgive them for the assumption of who I am just because I have lines on my skin and I'm, I'm uh, not obviously of their generation. And yet to stay up to date on the changes generationally that are happening and really staying on board for the need for the conversations that may not have been so resonant at different times in history. I think that that, that those two things so that I can apologize when I've missed understanding what that my friend's daughter, for instance, wants to be called they, them. And I, I refer to her as she, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's not as, as normalized in my system. So I, I want people to know I want to catch up and I'm sorry when I, I miss the mark. And that's what I mean by self-forgiveness so that we can offer that out. Yeah. And, and the idea that inner, inner illumination, inner uh, connectedness to our natural beauty is going to be essential as any I, parts of us that identify with meaningfulness through Vanity and beauty, which of course I have, I, I know that without the Dharma and without my interconnectedness, it'd be very hard to, to constantly see those changes being, in a way, taken from one <laughs> without our choice. And to live that, live into our sage-like years and relax about that, that needs a lot of support. It just does. Mm-hmm. it's not easy and then I, I haven't even talked about uh, the, the changes that can happen to one's body that I'm in a little bit of but I can see further on that of course people who haven't had the opportunity to practice yoga like I have are, are seeing at all different ages that can happen at 30 and be very frustrating and, and when we're incapacitated what, what else can we turn to if our physical body isn't responding to uh, physical supports. And for me, then that is inquiry and spiritual psychology and, and the Buddha Dharma and awakening as an ongoing journey. Mm. Yeah, that's all, that's all really helpful. Thank you. And, and about to segue into just one of the facets that you just named, spiritual psychology. Several years ago in our private work together, I'm so just one of the many things I'm grateful for you introducing me to is the internal family systems or IFS therapy. Uh, it just, it came into my life at just the right time before just a lot of things fell apart and I need a, needed a lot of that, that deeper psychological support and just over the years, it's, IFS has been life-changing for me and so much so that I've gone on to study it and to share it with others. And you weave that into this book as well. Um, you talk about how IFS helps us turn our poison into our medicine. And you also urge readers to about the importance of working with a therapist and also warn about spiritual traditions like Zen that are designed to transcend 
rather than heal our inner demons. And you're right, in my own training, I have learned that welcoming unintegrated states into an open-heartedness within me is the foundation of a joyous life. And I know this is a big question, but how has IFS, and I know there's other psycho-spiritual modalities that you've studied as well, how have, how have they dovetailed with your yoga and meditation practices? And what is it about the IFS model that has been so integral for you in creating a joyous life? I appreciate that question. As it is true, it can be so quickening as you found. And then the invitation to study it, even if you don't come with an MA, or a PhD in psychology, I think is one of the reasons that I so appreciate the, the ever-growing IFS community, that you can go to level one, or you can go to all the levels, and you can become an IFS practitioner rather than IFS certif you know, certified psychologist. And that those two delineations almost depend on the person, not always the, the letters behind our name, because... If we have studied a lot of other psycho-spiritual models, this one will be, this one meaning IFS, will be familiar because in Jungian psychology and in transpersonal psychology and psychosynthesis, particularly psychosynthesis, which came long before Dick brought in internal family systems in just this way, so they all influenced him, as well as, of course, family systems model, which he was a therapist of for a long time, that there is this sense of the multiplicity within us that can be, in a way, shamed by certain spiritual practitioners who assume that we're going for unity consciousness and therefore can tend to avoid certain darker or negative or shadowy material in an effort to to get beyond our egoic personality structure and that can even be talk about poison that that word in many spiritual traditions can be uh, thought of as as the main problem whereas in ifs the idea of ego functioning is uh, non-pathologized and naturally expected it's when aspects within our system start to feel that they've been exiled or like we've been so hurt that we have to hide in situations with other people that we have to create a false self and then can't ever feel authentic it's those kind of patterns that actually carry a lot of pain and woundedness that we can learn to hold and, and with support heal. And I think that the Buddha Dharma and the Buddha himself may have had a lot of insights into that potential as well. And everything then is, is um, involved with translation. How much understanding does the person have who then translates what they offer the next person? And so... I would say that within the meditative communities, the idea of insight is universal. It's not just the domain of Buddhism, but 
compassion as a as a foundation is what I truly love about IFS, not that it's not in, in lots of systems, but it's so pervasive. It's so all-encompassing that to even be able to dialogue with the harsh critic voices within us and not right away take an attitude against them would mean we'd have to shift from the parts of us that feel wounded by their message for the, on the one hand, the kind of inner victim to the pain of, of the pressure of having to hear that we are unworthy to be able to take care of those young parts and then to also take care of the aspects within us that are always trying to defend us against criticism and to put ask those parts to step to the side and then go into a truly kind of openly curious and um, non-agenda filled investigation of what this particular part, let's say, and just naming a critic part, is, is going for. What is the underlying motivation here? Is it as demeaning as it seems to be on the surface? And so this kind of in-depth recognition that parts of us, when they're not just talking to other parts of us, that parts of us are trying to get our attention. And the, and the aspect of attention they're trying to get seems to be from somewhere in us that has a deeper possibility of sourcing. And so this idea that within us all, we have these areas of positive inner resources that Dick called the self, and I often call, as you saw in the book, awareness intelligence, and that each of us carry this open dimension of curiosity and care that can then be directed not just towards understanding the domains of spacious quietude, but the noise in our system that needs settling, not hushing, but, but is asking for interaction and to know how to interact skillfully and quite... Uh, quite simply, meaning that we don't have to be intellectually that diverse in our psychological understandings to study IFS. It can be a whole new domain for us, and yet it starts to make sense when we just study it a little because it speaks to the nature of the human condition in such a clear way. That's why I think it's so globally widespread so quickly. It's just swept, not just through the psychological communities, but the, the somatic communities, because when we spend time in our bodies, the, the place that's being uh, morphed is, is the, the person who's having that experience, not just the body as an it. So the, the suppleness of subjective experience and being able to stay questioning, you know, what's going on for me while I'm in down dog or while I'm in butterfly or yin pose? And, and who is the me I'm identified as? Is that the same me that just had that argument with, you know, my son? Or is that the same me that is the, the one who can be quite, 
competitive at work? Or is that the same me that can be quite kind when I'm being, you know, a customer in a restaurant? Or do I have multiple identity structures that come up at different times? And which ones are conscious? Which ones are healthy? Which ones need care and healing? You know, so that my whole internal system becomes available to be lived in and not not any longer so scary or or so um, shameful. So that's why I love IFS because it speaks to that right away and and quite lovingly. Yeah, that's a that's a great deeper explanation of it. And also one of the things I love about IFS is how surprising it can be. You know, like you said, turning towards a critic, like I just think about so many sessions that I've had with you, turning towards parts of myself that maybe I've judged or um have been challenging for me. And what I find at the root of them is often just very surprising. Mm-hmm. And and very deeply healing. It's it's like um it's an adventure, like a healing adventure each time to what what these parts are gonna lead us to within ourselves. It's a beautiful way to to state it, Sarah. It's an it becomes an adventure rather than this this sense of dread to to yes. call our, our therapist and have an extra touchstone to go in and investigate. And, and to feel safe enough to know that nothing in there is going to mean that I'm a bad person. Yeah. I just have parts that have identified with certain messages that are just not true. But I believe them when I'm identified. And so I want to look at them and unpack yeah. them. Yeah. And they often lead me just to memories in different stages of my life that have just you know, times that where I didn't have the support that I needed. And exactly. With, we get yeah, with frozen this model, in time. Go, yeah, I can go back and give myself that support. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that permission to reparent without it just being uh, wishful thinking. Because on a neurological level, because now it's research based, IFS shows that we we do create a kind of alternative reality in which healing takes place in the present, even though we're reliving past events. And that doesn't happen just by telling our story again and again, like with, a, with our friends, let's say. It needs to have embedded in that scenario that we're revisiting a, an internal witness that is compassionate and non-judgmental, holding that ground space. And then that trauma or that wounding has a whole other opportunity of being understood and integrated. Yeah. Yeah, it's powerful and exciting stuff. Mm-hmm. So glad that you took to it. And, and, and like anything, it isn't for everyone. And I would never uh, assume that. I mean, somatic experiencing is another wonderful model that people get so much from. And, and um, a lot of people are, are finding that in-depth dream work can give them this unpacking of their waking life. And so I never want to become a sound like I'm dogmatic about this is the way, but this is a way that that might assist other ways that one is already devoted to. 
Same with the Buddha Dharma in terms of meditation. There's lots of great yogic systems that I know people have found. And it's just almost, you could call it chance or you could call it karma that I was living in the Bay Area. And there's so much Buddha Dharma there in that part of California that I was exposed to that that just became the model I learned and that now that I can teach from for that reason. Right. And so moving now from those those more inner dimensions of being into the relational dimension, um, you know, you've mentioned that you've been with your partner, Ty, for four decades now, which is very impressive. Congratulations. Thank <laughs> you. And also conscious parenting your daughter, who's now grown into adulthood. Uh, I'd love for you to share with us maybe one or two core principles that that you bring, that you've brought to these relationships that have allowed and that continue to allow them to be so successful and nourishing. I'm just feeling into them, those relationships now, because of course there's like any long-term intimacies, there's challenges and there will continue to be and times when, you know, part of me just wants to, you know, particularly with in partnership, not, not with my daughter. I, I waited until I really wanted to have a child with her. I studied about parenting for years before I had one. Uh, I, as I said, my mom had a child late in life. So I was able to really witness her with her last child who was actually 24 years younger than me. So like a, a, a daughter to me and was almost starting out parenting her. And then when she'd go home, I'd, I'd miss her so much. I knew I was, I was really wanting to have that experience with my own child. And the interest in then parenting only one, that was a, a choice that we both had made because we knew that we had a community of people we wanted to be able to give time to and traveling life and every, every child is so expensive. That was more feasible for us. And so homeschooling on the road was only possible because she was an avid reader early on and uh, ended up then just being voraciously interested in, in a number of different historical subjects. And another kind of child probably would have need us, needed us to parent differently. So each person who comes into a family definitely brings their unique system. And with our daughter, we we, uh, we questioned it every year. And so it, it worked for us for most years. She did go to one year of high school and then she went to college quite early. So the relationship with Ty, of course, is way more challenging for me. <laughs> yes. Because I have, um, I have hermit parts of me that really like time alone and how was that going to be feasible when I met him so young? And yet I found that because he was a spiritual practitioner before me and because he has uh, had more in-depth relationships before I did, he kind of brought that to the relationship, the ability to give me space and time to do my thing. He's never been one to keep me from lots of friendships 
with males and females. He has lots of female friends himself. So I learned that from him. So that was really helpful. And I, I know that for most people in relationship, the person we are when we meet, that's going to change so much, especially over 10 years. And then you add to that 20, 30. And if our partner isn't willing to see us grow and change and not stay as the person they need us to be, then we're going to need to reassess if we are the best partnership going forward. And maybe we need a lot of counseling to, to discover that. I don't, I don't break up uh, the idea of partnership easy. I think that all parts need to be on board before we leave a relationship like that. But we do need to constantly be curious as Ty and I at times would look at, okay, in the, in the worst of times, if we're really not feeling like we're able to listen well, because I think that's the most important piece. Are we able to listen well to what the other's needs are and the way I've missed attuning to their needs? And am I able then to apologize for that and to grow and learn more about that? And, and is that reciprocated? That's like the foundation of a long-term healthy relationship. Right. Yeah, it sounds Can so we, basic, but it's also very, it's also not easy no, to do that. It's not because we get yeah. identified and protective so easily. And so many other relationships are filtering through what we are talking about with this one primary partner, like relationships with authority figures when our partner feels like they're being you know, extra teachy to us, you know, or authority figures or with, you know, close friends who may have been jealous or, you know, there's just so much that affects every relationship. So having a willingness to, to humble ourselves to, yeah, I missed this and I was totally identified and, and I'm not now, is this a good time for you? It's good for me, you know, always asking, is this a good time for you or when would be? So that's another key thing, not um, doing important conversations on the, on the side or just in passing and not inviting the other person to really sit down and recognize this matters to us. Do I have your full attention? And if not, when would be a good time? Yeah, thanks for, thanks for sharing all that. And just as we're moving towards our our the end of our time together, I am wondering what, like, what's next for you? Your book is out. We're about to enter into a new year. What's next for you on the horizon? And just what's your current growing edge? <laughs> it's an interesting rhythm right now because, as as you know, that feeling of having birthed an offering for others like a book feels like it's just come out so that feels really good I'm not writing again right now I always give myself like before I give myself 10 years lots of time I don't know if I have another one in me I may never write again I don't know Mm -hmm. and so this feeling of um just satisfaction in terms of 
being um, unrushed, you could say. Like I'm, not, I'm without a deadline now that the book is out. And then I, I did an audio book and that had a deadline. And so people can be led through the practices by me if they want to be and hear the inflection I meant the book to have since words on the page don't carry the chi. Oral is always better. So I'm really happy that Shambhala was willing to do that with me because that had to be from their side an interest. <laughs> and so I, I'm really in a, a fruition phase in that way. I feel really relaxed about anything that needs to get done. And now I, I guess you could say I'm turning towards relationships and wanting to give more time there to people that I mentor, to the overall Insight Yoga community in ways that, that if I have felt unavailable, I really want to be available in more ways, more available to my family. But I, I have a rhythm that takes care of me pretty set at this point. I'm not needing a lot of attention there. So giving attention to friendships, to, to writers. I'm really, in, I love reading fiction, so I'm reading a lot. I stay up on what's going on collectively with the news, rhythms of just taking walks and being outside. So you could say, this isn't for me just like during the holidays or during a pandemic. This is really a lifestyle. And so this next season, whatever goes on with, with the worldly events, this is, um, this is a place of, I, I, if something else to offer in, a, in a, a new way comes up, I'll, I'll question how much time it will take, how much would it offset the balance that I feel I've struck right now, and, and is that important and is that worth it? Because sometimes that just needs to happen in order to bring something new into the world. And that may occur. Um, but right now, I'm, I'm quite content, you could say. That sense of santosha in the Sanskrit mm. term. Quadrants of my life and feel quite blessed and grateful. And just want to share that wherever others might might want some support or just some delight in that field with me. Mm. And just the fact that you're in such a place of fruition and contentment is just a testament to, to your new book, to just all, all the teachings that you put out that, that you are really the fruition of, of all those teachings and you are walking your talk. So it's inspiring. Thank you. Thank you for this time together. It's been really fun to talk to you in this way. Likewise. And where can lis listeners learn more about you? My website, sarahpowersinsightyoga.com. And I think everything is there. Any questions about you know, coming on a live retreat or I'm doing a number of things online coming up i'm even doing my trainings online in different time zones for people on different sides of the planet and i just uh also went to yoga international in pennsylvania and recorded my level one for them 
to put out. That'll be out by next summer. Because in that eight day, six hours a day, there's a lot of the, the things we've talked about as foundation teachings. It's really not just for teachers who want to teach, but for people who want to set up rhythms like we've been discussing so that one's daily life feels like, you know, the journey that you described it as, the, the ability to connect to body, heart, and mind on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So that's how you can reach me. Great. And I'll, I'll put that link in the show notes as well. Great. And just a final encouragement for everyone to go out and get your book, Lit From Within, the written, and get to know about the audio version as well. And it's mm-hmm. great to have you just leading the practices in there. And thank you for your time, Sarah. As always, thank it's you, really Sarah. wonderful to be with you. Mm-hmm. You too. Blessings to you. I look forward to next time we're together. Me too. Okay, bye for now. Thank you so much for joining me and for taking this time out for yourself. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd be very grateful if you'd take a moment to rate and review this podcast. That way other women who might enjoy it can better find it. Also, don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. And until next time... I'm sending you my heartfelt support.